Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Are you caring for an aging parent? Are you searching for answers? Welcome to Senior Care Live, a program dedicated to you providing information, education, and resources, helping you become the best caregiver you can be. I'm your host, Steve Keeker. Hello and welcome to Senior Care Live. I'm Steve Keeker, President of Senior Care Consulting. Thanks so much for tuning in today. You are appreciated. Senior Care Live is the nation's premier radio program, providing information, education, and resources for seniors and their caregivers. This is a safe place to get accurate and reliable information you can absolutely count on. Each and every week, we discuss important issues such as how to remain independent in your own home, how to find the right senior care community, how to pay for the high cost of senior care, and legal issues involving elder law and estate planning. We also discuss senior-related health issues and how to care for the caregiver. As always, if you have a question, you can reach us on our toll-free number anytime. It's 1-800-331-6445. 1-800-331-6445. You can also visit online. It's a great website. Check that out at Senior Care Live. L-I-V-E, SeniorCareLive.com. And today we're going to have a really interesting program. I'm just really excited about this. Uh, my guests today are Dr. Gary Doolittle and Dr. Roy Jensen. Dr. Doolittle is a medical oncologist with the University of Kansas Cancer Center and medical director of the Masonic Cancer Alliance, which is the outreach network of the University of Kansas Cancer Center. Dr. Jensen is the director of KU Cancer Center and the chief executive officer of the Masonic Cancer Alliance. And we're going to learn more today about KU Cancer Center's National Cancer Institute designation, their quest to attain comprehensive cancer center designation from the National Cancer Institute, and the role the Masonic Cancer Alliance plays in that quest. So, Dr. Jensen, let's start with you. Uh, you're the director of the University of Kansas Cancer Center, which is a National Cancer Institute or NCI-designated cancer center. What does it mean to be an NCI-designated cancer center? Well, thanks so much uh, for having us on uh, today, Steve. You bet. Uh, the Cancer Center's program was started um, as a result of the 
passage of the National Cancer Act back in 1971. And currently there are 71 designated cancer centers across the country out of well over 5,000 uh, cancer facilities across the United States. And it essentially represents um, the uh, academic cancer centers that have a sufficient uh, uh, cancer program to really be making a national impact in terms of cancer research and uh, treatment. Okay, so 71 out of 5,000. So if you're an NCI designated cancer center, you're, that's that's saying something. <laughs> uh, that's correct. That's that's uh, that, that that makes me. It, I have some uh, hometown proud feelings here, so that's uh, that's fantastic. And I think it's important that we talk about uh, systemic racism and the impact it has on health. And as a NCI-designated uh, cancer center, uh, what is KU Cancer Center's role in addressing this issue? Well, uh, Steve, this is a huge issue for us because, um, as you may have, have heard, cancer is becoming... Uh, a disparities uh, disease. And um, uh, underserved uh, minorities and socioeconomically disadvantaged individuals are at much greater risk uh, for cancer uh, for a variety of reasons. And so cancer centers really have to address these issues to serve uh, the people that are getting uh, cancer in our society. Okay, and I understand that KU Cancer Center will be applying to become an NCI Comprehensive Cancer Center. What is the difference between your current NCI designation cancer center status and then that comprehensive status? Right. Well, thanks for the question, Steve. And um, being a University of Kansas employee, we're contractually obligated to use basketball analogies uh, when we talk about uh, things. <laughs> <laughs> so being a, um, uh, an NCI designated cancer center is, is kind of like uh, being a division one uh, uh, basketball school and, and making the NCAA tournament. Okay. Um, becoming a, a comprehensive center is kind of like making the elite eight or the sweet 16. So uh, you are really uh, making uh, very significant contributions to our fight against uh, cancer if, if you reach that comprehensive status. And essentially, every cancer center that uh, most people are aware of uh, have attained uh, that comprehensive designation. Okay, and I, I love that analogy. First of all, go Jayhawks. <laughs> and, exactly. and I'm contractually obligated to say that because my daughter is a student at KU. So... <laughs> There you go. <laughs> but uh, uh, so uh, what must KU Cancer Center demonstrate to secure that comprehensive designation? That's the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight uh, status. Sure. Well, there's four primary uh, criteria for assessment of comprehensiveness. One is depth and breadth, which, um, as you might imagine, uh, signifies the amount and the quality of research that's going on uh, at, at your cancer center. Uh, the next thing is transdisciplinary research. In other words, how well do we do in terms of bringing all sorts of disciplines together to focus on the cancer problem and how effective are we in, in really having a, a work product uh, from uh, those relationships? Um, and then the next thing is, is serving our catchment area. Do we have a deep knowledge and understanding of the cancer problem uh, in the area that we serve 
And then, obviously, what are we doing uh, to address the specific issues of, of cancer uh, in our area? And then last but not least is uh, focus on education and training. What are we doing to prepare the workforce uh, to meet this problem uh, head on? So those are the four criteria. Okay, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> is it is it a, a significant step or is it a, a I'm, I'm probably not asking this correctly, or is it a gigantic step uh, to, to jump up to that comprehensive designation? Well, I think it's a, it's a pretty significant step for a, a cancer center that's, um, you know, g given our um, uh, uh, natural history. Um, we're we're going to be applying for this uh, designation uh, 10 years after um, becoming an NCI-designated center. And so that's um, uh, typically uh, that takes about uh, 15 to 20 years. So ah. uh, we're trying to, uh, you know, be a little uh, ahead of the class here. That that sounds that sounds excellent. So it sounds like research is one of the hallmarks of NCI designated cancer centers. Uh, why is cancer research so essential? Well, you know, frankly, it's so essential because uh, right now uh, we're not near as good as what we need to be, and I'm talking about the entire cancer research community right now. Uh, you know, forty uh, years ago when the cancer center program was started, the five-year survival rate was 49% for all cancers. Um, and now it's just under 70%. And wow. so while that's a significant improvement, you know, that is, is barely above passing. Um, you know, 69% is still a D plus. Is a D, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so yeah. we can't be stopping to pat ourselves on the back very much when we should be trying to, you know, get up there to 85, 90, 95% uh, five-year survival rates. And that's um, going to take more research, more understanding of this disease, and then leveraging that knowledge to develop new therapeutic approaches. And we can't forget uh, prevention and control. So we could stop uh, probably 35,000 cancers in this country uh, in their tracks if we simply encourage people uh, to get their HPV vaccination as, as a way to prevent it. Wow. Okay. All right. That That's an important one for sure. Uh, Dr. Doolittle, I, I know some Masonic Cancer Alliance member sites participate in research. Uh, what kinds of research are they involved in? Uh, well, again, Steve, thanks for having us today. Uh, our Masonic Cancer Alliance sites are really our partners in research. And while we started this over 11 years ago, and we really started with the idea that we were going to launch clinical trials uh, at our member sites, the research has really uh, broadened beyond that. Uh, primarily clinical trials to intervene and try to improve the outcome for patients with cancer. But as Dr. Jensen just said, many of our sites are involved in cancer control and population health studies studies that have to do with tobacco control, diet and weight management, energy management, some protection and cancer survivorship. So it's really quite broad. Okay. And 
Dr. Jensen, you you said something about, uh, you mentioned that five-year marker. And uh, last month, uh, uh, I spoke with uh, Dr. Jennifer Klemp and Dr. Nikki Nolan. And uh, Dr. Klemp was talking about, you know, that that five-year marker is definitely something to be proud of and and excited about. But it doesn't mean you're cancer-free. There's still always a risk, but that is uh, kind of the standard marker. So uh, that's something to uh, uh, definitely keep in mind. So, all right. So, uh, right after the break, we're going to continue our conversation. This is absolutely fascinating information information from Dr. Jensen and Dr. Doolittle. But first, let's not forget about our Senior Care Live question of the week. It's really a statement this time. At any given time, hundreds of research studies are underway at National Cancer Institute designated cancer centers, ranging from basic laboratory research to clinical assessments of new treatments. Is that statement true or false? We'll have the answer right after the break. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information about the services offered on this program and how we can help you and your family, call us on our toll-free number anytime. That's 1-800-331-6445. 1-800-331-6445. And don't forget you can stream this program to any electronic device. Just go to SeniorCareLive.com. Click on the big microphone right there on the homepage or the Listen Live button. Give it a few seconds to connect, and it will immediately start streaming to your phone, tablet, computer, whatever you have. It really is that simple. And also, don't forget, you can access this program on the app radio.com. And lots of people stream the program over radio.com. So be sure to check that out. All right, back to the Senior Care Live question of the week. At any given time, hundreds of research studies are underway at National Cancer Institute designated cancer centers, ranging from basic laboratory research to clinical assessments of new treatments. Is that statement true or false? And the answer is... True. The answer is True. How about that? That's a that's a tremendous amount of research, and that's just really really exciting. Uh, let's get back with uh, Doctor Doolittle. Uh, Doctor Doolittle, how does the MCA member site's involvement in research impact KU Cancer Center's application for that comprehensive designation from the National Cancer Institute? It's a good question, Steve. I think the NCI really wants to know that services and research projects are serving all groups. Uh, whether it be urban or rural or urban underserved. Masonic Cancer Alliance is an example of a program designed to reach all of our catchment area, even most sparsely populated areas of of rural Kansas and Missouri. Um, I think it's also important to remember that our clinical trials need to reflect the population as a whole, and the MCA members contribute to those studies put their patients on trials, and it, it really does give us a flavor of the population as a whole. 
All right. All right. Excellent. Excellent. And Dr. Jensen, uh, what is KU Cancer Center doing as a National Cancer Institute designated cancer center to impact cancers in our region? Well, I think the, uh, the answer to your uh, listener question uh, is, a, is a great start on that. And over the last 10 years, we've put 10,000 patients on clinical trials. Wow. Uh, enroll them on clinical trials at the KU Cancer Center. So um, uh, clinical trials really represent uh, the cutting edge of cancer treatment. And, and obviously, we start off with uh, the consensus best treatment for any cancer. And so uh, that means uh, uh, really uh, an assurance that the patients are getting the best possible care. And it's really one of the reasons why there's the fact is that Patients treated at an NCI designated cancer center have 25% uh, better outcomes uh, at, in the first year after their diagnosis, which I think is a is a tremendous uh, statistic. That's that's incredible. All right, and then um, if if KU Cancer Center attains that comprehensive designation from the National Cancer Institute, how will that impact our region? You know, I think that will provide a lot of assurance uh, to cancer patients in our region that our center is really doing everything that it can uh, to be a world-class center for both cancer research and uh, clinical care. And, you know, when we first got started uh, back in the early 2000s, nearly 15% of Kansans were leaving the state uh, for their cancer care. And we've uh, dropped that uh, by more than half. Uh, We've gone from a a little less than 2,000 patients uh, being treated at our center every year uh, to well over 6,000. That is impressive. That's impressive. And, you know, if you you can get great care at home. I mean, that, that's what everyone is looking for. Uh, it makes me sad to feel that a lot of Kansans felt like they had to leave the state to get the best care. And I'm so glad that that trend is completely reversing. And uh, it's thanks to uh, all of the good work uh, of everyone there at the KU Cancer Center and the Masonic Cancer Alliance. So that's fantastic. Uh, Dr. Doolittle, I I know that the, the Masonic Cancer Alliance members are located across the state of Kansas and and in Western Missouri. So how does NCI designation benefit MCA member sites and their communities? Right. I think it's really important to recognize that our member sites are active collaborators with us in our research and our clinical trials program. Uh, They help design clinical trials. They help accrue to those trials as well. I think the other thing that's really important to remember is that most studies that we're trying to do in the cancer control arena, those studies that have to do with tobacco cessation or obesity management, um, those are all tend to be services that we are conducting research on. So if you're part of a tobacco cessation study, you're also getting that added benefit of the, the knowledge and the interest that you should quit smoking and that this is an important part of your health. So each research project has a question attached to it, but also a service attached to it for our MCA members. Okay, all right. And in addition to the research that we discussed earlier, uh, I know the Masonic Cancer Alliance provides education and outreach programs across Kansas and Western Missouri. Can you talk some about those efforts and the role they play in KU Cancer Center's quest for that comprehensive designation? 
Right. I think uh, education has been a big part of our program ever since it started 11 years ago. Uh, our sites made it very clear that they, this was a service they needed, and it was very difficult for them to travel outside of the community to do so. Comprehensive designation, it, it is about the care of the cancer patient. But it's also about service to the region as a whole, uh, and education is one, one piece of that. Screening, we conduct multiple screenings throughout the state. We've had a little bit of a challenge with COVID and seeing that work work and move forward. Although I think we're overcoming those challenges and we'll start our screenings again in the next few weeks. Again, these are services to the state and something that the NCI is really looking at its comprehensive centers to provide. All right, all right, that is excellent. And I love that all of the work uh, uh, or a lot of the work is, is out in the rural areas and some of the underserved areas uh, there. Um, I, I spent a little bit of time in Hayes, Kansas when I was in high school and a lot of rural communities out there getting some great service and great support uh, from KU Cancer Center and the MCA. So uh, that's fantastic. Uh, Dr. Jensen, if someone wants to learn more about cancer, or excuse me, National Cancer Institute designation, uh, where would you direct them? You know, there's a couple of places. Uh, one is our own website, KUCancerCenter.org. And of course, the other uh, site is to go directly to cancer.gov. And that is the, uh, the website for the National Cancer Institute itself. Okay. All right. And uh, uh, be before, we, uh, before we exit today, I would just like to uh, say thank you, uh, uh, Dr. Jensen, for, for all the great work at the KU Cancer Center. Uh, uh, a personal note, you saved my own mother. Uh, and, and she got great care there. And she is a, a five-year survivor. And I just want to thank you for that. Well, those stories are why we do what we do. All right. As we approach the end of today's segment, just want to be sure to let our listeners know they can find out more about the Masonic Cancer Alliance in the University of Kansas Cancer Center. The MCA website is MasonicCancerAlliance.org. That's MasonicCancerAlliance.org. And the KU Cancer Center website, KUCancerCenter.org. And Dr. Jensen and Dr. Doolittle, thanks so much for being here today. I know you're super busy, so I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us on. Thank you, Steve. All right. We'll have more right after the break. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, go to SeniorCareLive.com. And don't forget to check out our podcasts of every recent episode of this program. I'd like to thank Dr. Doolittle and Dr. Jensen for taking time out of their day and sharing information with us here on the program. There is no doubt in my mind that they will achieve that higher level of certification and continue their excellent work at the KU Cancer Center and the Masonic Cancer Alliance. 
Okay, so learning new information through the news is just so important, but oh my goodness, at least right now, the news seems to be saturated with all of the toxic political stuff. And let me say, it's only July. We're just getting started. It's going to drive me nuts. I usually try to tune that out as much as I can. However, if you're caring for an elderly loved one, you are always interested in news that can help you care for your spouse, your mom, your dad, whoever it is that you're caring for. You just want to be a better and more informed caregiver. And I think you will love our new weekly feature. And now, Senior Care in the News. A news report from Steve Keeker, president of Senior Care Consulting. Okay, so we're going to talk about this week in the news, uh, the top five senior living technology trends for 2020. And I think when I just said 2020, I felt like Babua Walters on 2020. <laughs> but uh, anyway, okay, I'm losing my mind here. <laughs> but uh, all right, so uh, trend number one, telehealth. And, and that's probably not a big surprise Senior living providers and the entire medical community, quite frankly, have long seen the promise of telehealth as a way to reduce hospitalizations and provide a more convenient and timely care for residents and for patients. But with the rise of COVID-19, telehealth has become a must-have technology. Virtual Physician visits via video chats, for example, is going to be a significant trend moving forward. And so, you know, for example, we have our friends at Kansas City Hospice and Palliative Care. We have our friends at the Masonic Cancer Alliance and also my wife's very busy physician's clinic, all using telehealth and like it, love it, leave it. You better get used to it because it is here to stay and it will be used more and more uh, each and every day. So it's here and uh, you may be asked at your next physician's office, well, would you like to come in or would you like to have a telehealth visit? That's how that's going to go. Trend number two, technology infrastructure. So you have to have the right, uh, you know, Wi-Fi and router and modem and the, and the proper internet connection. And I'm not going to read through all that, but that one is all about infrastructure and you have to have that set up and capable to deliver all of this technology. Number three, trend number three, voice enabled smart homes with health monitoring. So smart home technology, already a hot trend in over the recent years, is gaining even more importance today. So particularly with voice-enabled options, uh, residents can easily control the temperature and lighting to maintain a comfortable setting, and they can harness smart home technology to more easily connect with family and friends through digital platforms, and entertainment can be accessed very easily just by saying, hey, Alexa, or whatever your digital assistant is, Hey, play some Frank Sinatra. How about that? Mine might might be, hey, Alexa, play some new Kansas. How about that? I love Kansas. <laughs> but anyway, uh, one of my clients cared for his wife at home and, and she required total care and he provided tremendous amount of care for her. He had almost everything in that house uh, possible uh, available by voice command, even feeding his cat and i'm like now what are you talking about You're feeding your cat he said well you want to see it and i'm like yes i do <laughs> and he turned his head and he said feed the cat 
And I heard this little and blip, 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 blip. And, and, it, and there's this little container above a cat dish and it dropped down six or seven pellets. And then uh, the cat just kind of meanders on over there and, you know, he's eating his, his little cat nibble. And uh, that was really cool. He was feeding his cat through voice command. Very, very, very cool. Trend number four, artificial intelligence. So take the smart thermometer, or excuse me, thermostat, for example, through the power of artificial intelligence, it can learn what temperatures are most comfortable for a particular older adult and also recognize when someone is forgetting to adjust the thermostat when the temperature fluctuates. And by automatically adjusting, the thermostat might not only keep the resident comfortable, it may prevent that person from becoming dehydrated, which could in turn prevent a lot of potential negative health outcomes. All of that without any staff or human intervention. So that artificial intelligence is becoming more and more important. And uh, and actually, that kind of scares me a little bit. <laughs> I, I guess I, I've seen too many sci-fi movies, but uh, but it, but it's you know when used right and in the right setting, super super helpful. And then trend number five: security and safety. As with anything touching the internet, this is a huge, huge concern. So safety and security is not only a matter of data protection. And so everyone's heard about, you know, data mining, you have to encrypt your data, protect your data. But there's also now a human component as well. So there is a pressing need for education and training so that they know how to use the technology smartly and safely. So we must do everything possible to protect our information and our identity. So how about that? So safety and security and, 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 and smart homes and artificial intelligence and telehealth checks, it's all here to stay and becoming more and more prevalent every day. And that is Senior Care in the News. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. This is a consumer alert. Consumer alert. All right, here we go again. Here we go again. I've been informed of another instance where an assisted living community cannot provide enough care. So instead of doing the right thing and referring that resident to a long-term care community, they do the selfish thing and move them to their own memory care neighborhood, even when that resident is not a memory care candidate. The places that do this are way more interested in the money they make than the resident and their well-being. Now, I've heard about this multiple times, and that is making me very, very upset. I've even talked about this, oh, I don't know, a few months ago on the program, and I warned about it, and here we go again. So through Senior Care Consulting, we're helping a family right now, and he shared this situation with me, and he even argued with the facility staff that his mother does not belong in the memory care unit, but they insisted. However, she is as sharp as as I am, as he is, as, as you can be. And she does not have Alzheimer's or dementia. She doesn't even have any memory loss. He said, Steve, you know, I'm an engineer. She's just ever bit as sharp as I am. So guess what he's going to do? He is moving her out 
and together we're going to find a great long-term care community for his mother so that she can be around other residents that do not have dementia. So, you know, God love him, but she just doesn't belong there. Uh, it's just not fair to hear to her at all. And, and there, here's a human nature element to this as well. We all tend to rise or fall to the level of those around us. So you put a, a perfectly cognitive person, just a sharp person, uh, in amongst a lot of residents who have cognitive deficits through Alzheimer's and dementia and memory loss and, and some maybe not even communicative at all, guess what's going to happen to her? She's You're going to start to see a sharp cognitive decline, and that is not fair. I'm just hearing about this practice more and more. So here's a message to any assisted living communities that are doing this. So number one, stop it. Stop it now. Okay, number two, Raise your level of care in assisted living. Just provide more care so you don't have to move them to memory care to get more care. That's a really simple fit fix. Number three, refer these residents to long-term care. Super easy to do. Or number four, if you're worried about losing too many residents to long-term care, you can add a long-term care wing onto your building. And then that way you have the continuity of care and you can take care of it. So if your loved one has experienced this, you should move them to long-term care immediately. Also, you can report it to the state of Kansas or Missouri and inform them of what's happening. And uh, if you want to file a complaint, I'll tell you what, I always caution listeners, don't just go and dial the number over anything. But if something like this happened to my mom and I had to argue with them and they still moved her to assisted living, I would be livid and if this is you i would file a complaint with the state of kansas that's at 1-800-842-0078 and in the state of missouri i would call 1-800-392-0210 and that's what you need to do hopefully you won't need to do that have the conversation I don't think this is happening a lot, but it's happening more than I care to hear about. And I'm hearing about it more and more. So just be careful and take care of your elderly loved one. Proceed with caution. This has been a Consumer Alert brought to you by Senior Care Live. Up next, I'll define assisted living and then I'll explain memory care and show you how that term is being used in our marketplace. This is information you will absolutely want to know. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, go to SeniorCareLive.com. All right, so let's jump into that assisted living level of care. I want to talk about memory care, and then I want to just point out why 
moving someone from assisted living memory care to assisted li- or excuse me assisted living just general care to the assisted living memory care unit should be something you know very specific for the right resident and you don't just move anyone and everyone into that memory care neighborhood that's just not right so to understand that let's back up just a little ways and when i do presentations and i do a lot of them for for public groups and employer groups and at churches and and just all over the place. I I have a really, really great graphic that makes it super easy to understand. I'll try to do my best to convey that information to you here over the radio. But on the left-hand side, that entry point would be independent living. It's an apartment with meals and transportation. And that is the entry point if you're moving from your home to a community. Let's go to the far right-hand side of the graphic, and that is the highest level of care, which is long-term care, also known as a nursing home, and that is the full care medical model that can help you with all of those daily activities plus full medical care, and that would include diabetic management and insulin injection and pain management and helping with tube feeding and providing wound care, providing a two-person transfer if a person is weak enough to where it takes two people to help them move from point A to point B. Just tremendous amount of care provided at that long-term care level. All right, so what's in the center? That center ground is generally referred to, and there's there's some other pieces, but for this conversation today, I'm going to refer to that as assisted living, and it is a wide lane on this graphic if you can try to picture that in your mind. So assisted living is not a standardized model. So you could have 10 different assisted living communities, and all of them could provide something a little bit different from not very much help to a tremendous amount of help and everything in between. The assisted living model is a social model. It's not a medical model. It is a social model designed to help you with your activities of daily living. And there is a tremendous amount of help provided here. They can help you minimally or fully with your activities of daily living, such as bathing, dressing, and grooming. All right, so that's a good start. And again, you might need a little bit of help with one. You may need full help with the other. Maybe you can get dressed, but you need full help with your bathing or showering needs. They can help you use the restroom. They can help you with your medications, and they can distribute your medicine on time and accurately if you're needing that. And most most residents do. They provide transportation to and from doctor's appointments, although a lot of doctors will also come to you in your assisted living community into your apartment. So basically, they make house calls. They make every single meal for you, so you don't have to cook. They make all three meals, provide snacks and hydration. They provide a full social calendar of events and activities to provide a meaningful day, meaningful life. And uh, there's just there's a lot to like about assisted living, but it does not venture much into the medical side of things. They can help you with your incontinence to a point. uh, That's usually one of the triggers. Another trigger would be moving on from a one person transfer if you decline to the point where you need two people to help you move from point A to point B. That is a pretty common trigger point. Most assisted living Communities are staffed up to a one-person transfer, not a two, although some will do that. 
But the point is, assisted living is in that middle road somewhere between being independent in an independent living apartment and needing a tremendous amount of care at that long-term care or that nursing home level. And within within the group of residents living in any assisted living community, you're going to have a lot of those residents with lower level dementia, early stages of Alzheimer's, and they're gonna have some memory issues and, and they're gonna have some challenges, but they're still able to function, they're still able to communicate and get along just fine. It's to the point where if you escalate those cognitive related issues to the point to where you need memory care, if that particular assisted living community does not provide memory care, a, a separate section of the building to help with cognitively impaired residents, you're going to have to move. Okay, so that is a concern. Now, a lot of assisted living communities also have a memory care neighborhood. And so what can be found in the memory care uh, level of care, uh, or excuse me, the memory care type of care at the assisted living level of care? Well, first of all, you have codes on the doors. So the doors are coded and, and frankly, they're locked and you have to push in the code to leave that area. Now, it's not prison. You can leave that area. You just need to be accompanied by staff or family just for your own safety and security. It's very common for someone with Alzheimer's or dementia to wander. And what that is, is you're not trying to cause problems, but you're looking outside and you're like, oh, what is that? I'm going to go check that out. And you go outside uh, to check out whatever you're interested in. It's zero degrees out. It's 100 degrees out. You walk out into traffic and you're not aware that these are dangerous things, <laughs> right? So to leave that area, you have to remember a code. And most people with cognitive issues are not, cannot remember that code. So, so you have that kind of that layer or level of safety, if you will. Another issue is, is generally a, a smaller, it's a smaller space, fewer residents, less stimulation to, uh, to help you just remain calm and cool. Sometimes too much stimulation. The lights are too bright. There are too many people around. It's too loud. I'm hearing bells and noises and all kinds of stuff. And it might, with someone with cognitive impairment, it could really start to uh, kind of make you anxious and, and, and kind of get you wound up pretty tight. Pretty soon you might become very agitated, maybe even belligerent. And, and, and we don't want to do that. We want to try to keep everyone calm and cool. And, and that's another aspect of memory care. And there are some other things as well. That, that There's more staffing in memory care because, frankly, it just requires more help. And uh, uh, and they're, they're trained in redirection. They, they expect sundowning. And, and, and there's, there's, there's just a lot that goes into a memory care neighborhood. So, uh, and, and the, the appropriate person to move into memory care is someone who is a wandering risk. Uh, maybe they're even an exit seeking risk. That's a higher level of elopement risk, meaning someone's looking around. They're like, wait a minute. This isn't where I live. I'm out of here. Boom. And, and they're out. They're trying the doors. They're trying the windows because they're going to go home. And, and so you have to be able to manage that person safely and make sure that they're safe and happy and healthy. And, and, and 
keep them calm and cool. And there's just so much that goes into memory care. But as you can understand, if you're someone who's perfectly lucid, you're sharp as a tack, you just have some physical issues that you need help with, and they moved you into a neighborhood of 15 or 20 or maybe 30 residents in memory care, and, and, and none of these folks can talk to you and they, they can't socialize with you. You can't hold a conversation with them. Some of these folks are getting agitated, maybe even belligerent. You don't belong there, you shouldn't be there. So, so that practice of moving someone to memory care just for more care is very, very wrong. And again, take, take action if that's what you see happening with your loved one. I'm your host, Steve Keeker, and I wish you grace and peace. May God bless you and your family on this day and always. Join me next week right here on Senior Care Live. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.